Hello and welcome to another Perusia podcast. I'm Shabal Raish, your host, and I'm very blessed to introduce you to our guest, President of the Society of the Holy Face of Jesus. He's joining us from the United States. His name is Donald, and he is with us right now to talk about the Shroud, the Gospels, and Divine Mercy. Hello, Donald. Welcome. Hello, Trouble. Thank you for inviting me on the show. Um, a, it is a real pleasure to be here. Uh, the pleasure is, is mine, all mine. I'm, I'm learning more and more about um, uh, your apostolate and what you're doing with, with the holy uh, face of Jesus' uh, apostolate. And uh, maybe very briefly, those who don't know who you are, uh, maybe you can just introduce us very briefly about um, about this and what you're, you're the president of the of the Society of the Holy Face. What is that and exactly and when did you found that? Okay. Um, I, right. I'm the president of the Society of the Holy Face of Jesus. That's an organization that promotes the devotion to the Holy Face. Uh, we we, we um, sanction prayer groups and holy hours of reparation. Um, I did not found that, but I took it over. Okay. A okay. Little, little bit of a history there. Uh, I'm also, also a member of the Confraternity of the Passion. Um, that's the, the, like the third order Dominican, third order Franciscan, but we're associated with the Passionist Order. Uh, I took a vow to promote the Passion of Jesus. I also took a vow to promote the Holy Shroud of Jesus. Now, in my life, I was very, very fortunate. Uh, I, I renewed my vow to promote the Holy Shroud of Jesus on the Holy Shroud. And wow. I renewed my vow in Rome to promote the Passion of Jesus on the body of, of Paul, of, uh, Paul of the St. Paul of the Cross, who was the founder of the Passionist Order. So, so God was good to me. Um, how it started for me at a very young age, uh, eight years old. I don't know if you've seen any of my videos, but, um, but that's, that's how it started. Uh, I used to go to the Passionist Monastery and my brother, my, my brothers and my father, and we used to help make rosary beads. And one passionist priest who we were very close with, uh, one night he looks at me, you know, I'm, I'm nine years old, he's, and, he, and he motions for me to come over to him. So I said, yes, Father, what is it? So he says, Donald, every day of your life, pray the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary. I feel compelled to tell you this. And I looked up at Father. And I said, Father, the whole rosary? Every day? Yeah, now, he knew this was coming from an eight-year-old. Yes. So it says, Donald, every day of your life, pray the fifth decade, the crucifixion of Jesus. And I have to tell you, I have. Every, wow. Since that day to this day, no matter, I could be in a restaurant, uh, at, a, at, a, at a, a, a baseball game, no matter where I am, I just mentally say that fifth decade. So that pretty much united me, instilled in me a passion for the passion of Jesus. My knowledge of the Holy Shroud came from my love for the Passion. I was studying the Passion of Jesus at a very young age. So my second spiritual director, when I was 12, 13, gave me my first book on the Holy Shroud, a doctor at Calvary. And that's what started me. He knew I loved the Passion of Jesus. He said, this will help you in your studies of the passion. At a very young age, I knew every nook and cranny of the Holy Shroud, every scourge mark wounds. And wow. So 
I would go over this with all the priests and, and over my, my life, I acquired a lot of materials. Um, the, the Holy Face devotion, uh, maybe we'll, we'll do another show because I am gonna introduce you to a miraculous image, an image that actually shed blood in Italy in 1950, it was studied in 1975. The blood type was blood type A or is blood type AB. Same as the blood type on the Holy Shroud. I was very excited when I got the results. Wow. wow. And, and the same as the blood type on the Holy Sudarium, which would be another burial cloth mentioned in the Gospels. And the same blood type as many Eucharistic miracles. Yes. Uh, so, so I was very excited about that. But but that might be another show because my that would be amazing. society has to do with the migration of that image how it arrived in America, the individuals that brought it, who died and left it to me, uh, and that's how I took over the organization. But that trouble would probably be maybe the next show or, or another show because that's a little that would be a little lengthy. But but yeah. this has been my whole life, and and basically, you know, many scientists have scientifically studied the Holy Shroud. And, and that's good. That's a good thing. You know, the church encourages the scientific study of the Holy Shroud. But, you know, there does come a time, you know, when, when we really have to say to ourselves, enough is enough. You know, either we do accept that this is Jesus's image in that burial shroud or not, and, and that's okay. But if we do accept that that is Jesus's image in that burial cloth, well, now we have to start looking at why is it here? You yes. see, not so much what made the image, but why the image? God does not make mistakes. That image is no accidental byproduct of the resurrection. And it's the resurrection that made that image. There's a divine purpose for it. And this is what I spent my life uh, going over and and through care, very careful spiritual direction, you know, through passionate, and, and we're going to touch on a lot of this, you know. Yeah, absolutely. How exciting! Um, that 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 uh, is great to get a, a bit of background. That it's been a part of your life for most of your life, uh, from such a young age. Um, what a blessing and a gift to be sort of handpicked right there at a young as a young child, um, and now to do that. The, the shroud, of course, and many of the viewers know it is personal to me because I was I saw it for the first time on the door of a tabernacle um, when I was uh, praying to our Lord, asking him if he wanted me to be a Christian or a Muslim, that this was at a crossroads in my life. And that image of the shroud appeared and I never seen that image before. And, and that became uh, real personal to me. And when I discovered this was the burial cloth of Jesus and how he got there, it just blew my mind. And if people want to know the scientific side of it, uh, Father um, Robert Spitzer has done a great thing there. But what I'm keen with your angle is let's go now into why uh, the shroud. So do you mind the Gospels and the shroud? What, what is the connection? And let's learn about this uh, beautiful artifact. Let me, let me, you, you, you touched on one very key. Uh, um, you mentioned you were deciding whether to be Christian or Muslim. Yes. When, when we, no, well, not we, but the church looks at um, uh, ecumenical uh, uh, Ecumenism. Uh, we, we look. We, we we tend to look at what are our commonalities mm -hmm. now. You know, not what our differences are, but what do we have or what do we share in common? 
And we do have a link, and that's the Holy Shroud. Jews, Muslims, and the early century Christians were buried in shrouds. Um, not a casket. The casket was a later development, but Jews, Muslims, and Christians are buried in shrouds, okay? Burial shrouds, humility. It's a sign of humility. You know, go right, right into, into the ground. No casket, just uh, with the introduction of the casket. Again, this would be maybe for the liturgical connections of the shroud for that show. Even though we have the casket, Catholics are still have a shroud around them. When, when, uh, when, the, when the coffin comes into the church during a yes. uh, mass, you'll see a cloth draped around it. Okay. That's called, that's called a pall. A pall is what is used to cover the chalice, the precious blood, which represents the burial shroud of Jesus. So Catholics are still buried in a burial shroud, but just for a shorter period of time. But that is one link, but only one shroud. And, and believe me, Muslims, Jews, and Christians have been buried in millions of shrouds, but only there's only one that contains an image. So that is the one link between all the major, you know, faiths. Fascinating. Fascinating. So since you mentioned that, I just wanted to make that one connection. Yeah, I, like to bear that, I like to bear that in mind as we progress, you know, that we're, we're encountering all, you know. So um, the importance of the Holy Shroud. Uh, yeah, I was, I was not normal when I was young. <laughs> you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, and, and I'm thumbing through the the Bible, you know, looking to see where I could find the shroud and mention. And, you know, I had to study the Greek, studying the Greek, uh, all the different translations. Yeah. And um, it was fascinating because if we look at the Gospels through a shroud perspective, we come up with some amazing information. We actually understand the Gospels better the history we do find the shroud mentioned in two gospels mark and john and I'm, i guess i'm going to touch on this first um the gospel of mark mark actually uses the holy shroud as his medium for the whole for his whole gospel you know mark was a follower of peter uh we call mark's gospel the passion narrative because he goes right into the passion and then no post-resurrection accounts, okay? It's like, and then yeah, Jesus told him, have a nice day. Yeah. Uh, so, but Mark, Mark, each gospel writer had a different slant on their gospels, okay? John, yeah. they called John a theologian, and for a very good reason. The others mentioned what Jesus said or, said or what he did. Well, John explains why he did it or why he said it. Uh, so we call John, a, you know, the theologian, you know, Matthew wrote to the Jews, Luke, you know, for, for women, leaned towards women. Mark, Mark actually adds an esoteric element into his gospel, okay, with the Holy Shroud. If you read the resurrection accounts, this is, this is one of the, where people say, oh, there's discrepancies in the gospels, and, and there are, um, but it's not really that of important and not to focus on that but if you look at the resurrection accounts all four gospels have four different resurrection accounts mm -hmm. one has nobody there one has uh, an angel sitting on a rock outside 
one has two angels inside, one at the head, one at the foot, the sepulchre, and one has a young man. That's Mark's gospel. Now, this is what's important. If we read Mark's gospel, we read when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus in the garden. Okay? And you might recall this. There's a certain young man wrapped in a burial shroud. Now, in Greek, it's neonoskis, okay, which means a certain young man, a certain youth. The guards grab the shroud. They grab the, young, the youth, and the shroud pulls away, and he runs away naked. Are you familiar with this? This yeah, is in Mark's yeah. gospel. There'll be, there'll, be, <laughs> there'll be listeners here that will know this story. Yeah. Now, we look at that, and we say, what? Why is that here? The focus is on the arrest of Jesus. Why are they mentioning this individual wrapped in a burial shroud? They grab the shroud, the shroud comes off, and he runs away naked. Well, when we read Mark's gospel, Mark leans towards textiles, okay, the rending, the high priest rending of the garment, uh, the transfiguration, the dazzling white robes. He, he leans very heavily on, on textiles and meanings. Mark has a youth. Okay, What Mark is telling us is that we, like Jesus, we have to die to ourselves, wrap ourselves in the burial shroud, die to our sinfulness. And on the day of the resurrection, we will raise with Jesus now in a dazzling white robe. You see, Mark has a certain young man in the garden, in a burial shroud, and a certain young man in the resurrection, but now in a dazzling white robe. Okay? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the theme of Mark's whole gospel, you know, dying to ourselves and then rising with Jesus. Okay? The same youth, no yeah. angels in the public, the same youth. The history of the shroud actually begins in the gospels. Now, in particular, John 20, the empty tomb narrative, or the narrative of the resurrection. That na- that, that uh, reading, uh, with John and uh, uh, the women go to the tomb. Uh, we're going to look at Mark's gospel, or Matthew's gospel for a minute, to find out why the women go to the tomb. To finish anointing the body of Jesus. Back to John's gospel. The women enter the tomb. They don't find the body. And they run to the apostles, and that's what they tell them. Somebody took the body of our Lord, and we don't know what they did with him. Now, are you familiar with this reading? Yes, absolutely. Okay, no, and, I, and it's good because we're going to hear this reading on Easter. We hear yes. it every Easter. Okay. But, but when we look at it through a shroud perspective, we're going to have a better understanding of, of what this means. So the women go to the tomb to finish anointing the body of Jesus. They don't find the body, and they run to the apostles, and that's exactly what they tell the apostles. Somebody took the body. The gospel then tells us that Peter and John go running to the tomb. Now, John, being younger, arrives at the tomb first. We know the tomb was low. The gospels tell us that John stooped down and looked in and saw the burial linens lying. Yes. Then he bothers to tell us, but I did not go in. Now, he's telling us this for a very good reason. He wants us to know that he did not tamper with anything. He waited outside. He waited for Peter, the first authority figure, the Mm -hmm. first pope, 
to enter before him. The Gospels tell us that then Peter arrived at the tomb and Peter entered the tomb and saw the burial linens lying and the napkin or holy sudarium that wrapped around the face of Jesus, not with the rest of the burial cloths, but still in its folds in a place by itself. That actually brings us to the message of the Holy Shroud, which I'll explain later. Um, But neither Peter nor John ever mentioned about not finding the body of Jesus. They bring our full attention to the burial shroud. But for a very good reason. So then the Gospels tell us that then John entered the tomb. And John saw and he believed. (laughs) Well, what did John see? And what did John believe? Well, we know the theme of John's gospel. He tells us these things were written. So you will come to know that Jesus is the son of God. So we know that's the conclusion that John came to at that moment in the sepulcher. It was that Jesus was the son of God. It was not the resurrection. The very next sentence tells us as of yet, they did not have the understanding that Jesus had to resurrect. It was that Jesus was the son of God. Now, in order for a very devout Jew to come to that kind of conclusion that a man is the son of God, well, he must have seen something awesome. And of course, we believe it was the image of the cloth. Peter was not affected. The Gospels don't tell us that Peter was affected. And this makes perfect sense. We have to remember that Peter deserted Jesus. Peter was not at the burial of Jesus. John was. John helped place Jesus's body in that burial shroud. John knew what Jesus looked like at death. John knew that that image was Jesus. So therefore, John was converted at that moment to the sepulcher. That's a great detail, what you're saying, because I, I think all my life I've read that gospel and 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 that's just past me. You, you think of the cloths that are there and that just proves that, oh, yeah, uh, he's left. He's, someone's taken him or he's not there. But we forget that that cloth was actually the shroud and and the image was on there. Wow. And for a reason. So, so now let's fast forward a little bit to Acts of the Apostles. Um, uh, uh, Acts 2, actually. Well, actually, Acts, well, let's go to Acts 1. When Jesus appears in the upper room, he appears to his disciples by many proofs after his passion. Now, it doesn't say his resurrection. He proved himself alive by many proofs after his passion. What did Jesus have that showed he had a passion? Well, he had his burial shroud. Jesus, now we have to, to understand what's happening here, we have really have to take our 21st century Christian hats off and put on our first century Jewish hats to understand what's going on here. We have to look at Jesus as a first century Jew and a man, okay? Now, Jesus, of course, was supernatural. But but for this understanding, we have to look at Jesus, the man. Jesus knew that he was sending his disciples to other men okay, that had no idea that anyone was going to raise from the dead. Now, it's not the resurrection that made Jesus or gave Jesus the title Messiah. Um, when, when, what I'm getting at here is that Peter in the upper room, you might remember Pentecost. 
Yes, absolutely. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends upon the apostles, right? And Peter stood up and he addresses those that were gathered there, right? And he says, brothers, you know we had David. Now, David, uh, Peter's mentioning David for a reason, because in the Midrash, which is the, the equivalent of a Catholic catechism, okay. the Jewish faith, the Old Testament rabbis taught that David was to be the Messiah. So that was their belief. Now, Peter, in Acts of the Apostles here at Pentecost, is telling the Jews that were gathered there, we're wrong. We're under a, a false pretense. It's, it's wrong in our thinking. David, see, David spoke in the singular. I, me, you will not allow me to see, to experience death or corruption. So Jewish rabbis in the Old Testament thought David was to be the Messiah, okay, because he spoke in the singular. Now, Peter addresses those gathered at Pentecost, and he says, brothers, we had David. David died, and his tomb is with us this day. And the translations that say his bones are with us, yes. meaning he experienced corruption. That's the key word, not resurrection, corruption. Yes. The body corrupted, okay? So, but this Jesus, because he said of David, you will not uh, abandon my soul to the netherworld, nor will you allow your holy one to see corruption. Right? That's Psalm 1610. That was Peter's argument. Peter's only argument to prove Jesus rose from the dead. What did he have to show that? The burial shroud. In the shroud, we see flesh, we see bones. There is no sign of putrefaction. If Jesus died and putrefaction set in, the body started to corrupt and Jesus came back to life, we don't have a resurrection. He had to fulfill Psalm 1610 for a first century Jew, which was the most important prophecy to be titled Messiah. Okay, uh, Not experience corruption. You will not yeah. abandon my soul to another one. That was Peter's argument. But what did he have wow. to show? The shroud, no sign of putrefaction. The sign of rigor mortis, which would enter a body a couple of hours after death, stay for 12, 36, up to 72 hours, depending upon the environment. Then the body will start to break down. Jesus was not in the sepulcher long enough for the process to begin. He was buried in limestone, which preserved the body, very dry climate. Uh, Jesus was in a sepulcher for less than 40 hours. Yes. You know, the new day for the Jew begins at sunset, the appearance of the third star. Okay? So Jesus stayed on his cross. We know he died at three o'clock in the afternoon. There was an eclipse. It got dark. They had to get the bodies down. The new day was about to start in the sepulcher. So let's give Jesus three hours on day one in the sepulcher, 24 hours for day two. On day three, we read in the Gospels. Early on the third day, what happened? doesn't say Jesus rose from the dead. It said the tomb was already empty. Yes. You see, we don't know what time. It could have been one hour into the third day. So there was not enough time for putrefaction to set in. And we know early century Jews knew when putrefaction would set in. And we get this from Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus. When Jesus raised Lazarus, he said, Take, unbind him, take his face cloth off. Now, before he raised Lazarus, Lazarus' sister Martha, 
So Jesus, maybe you better not raise him because he's been dead four days now, and by now he stinks. What yeah. a system. Meaning, and what John's revealing here is that after three days, this is why Jesus had to raise him three days. After three days, the body breaks down. No resurrection. So there's not enough time for putrefaction to set in with Jesus. This is why he had to raise in three days. How did he prove it? it was through his holy shroud that had no sign of putrefaction. He showed, Peter showed the people, and 3,000 were converted that day. But this is how important. Now, by the way, um, Paul uses the same argument in Acts 13.33. Paul is addressing the Jews in the synagogue. And that he raised him from the dead, never to return to corruption. He declared this way, I shall give you the benefits assured to David. That is why he says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to see corruption. Do you see the focus? Corruption. Corruption. They were not focusing, yes, on the resurrection, but it's the body didn't experience corruption. That is what made Jesus Messiah. Gave the title. That's a great point. Yeah. Thank you for reminding us of that. So Psalm, that is, was in Psalm, uh, uh, what, what Psalm was that again? 1610? 1610, yeah. So yeah, Peter man. tells the people of Pentecost, he tells the Jews gathered, it's not David, but because David was a prophet, he was speaking of Jesus. It's Jesus's body that, that will not corrupt, you know. So he will not abandon his soul to the netherworld because Jesus did descend to the netherworld. Yes. Um, and, his, and his body did not corrupt. So that's what Jesus had to fulfill. So that link, Muslim, Jew, Christian, the burial shroud, only Jesus fulfills the most important first century prophecy to be titled Messiah and to fulfill Psalm 1610. Peter and 3,000 were converted that day. Paul, that's the only argument. The only argument was that the body did not corrupt. So that's how important the shroud is you know, in in uh, in the development, you know, of of uh, of Catholicism, you, you know, so you know when 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 all were one, but um, we know if if we look back, and I have no problem with this, that um, there is a gospel actually, you know, that gospel of the Hebrews. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, the gospel of the Hebrews. The gospel, not the letters of the Hebrews, but not not the gospel of the Hebrews. Okay. The Gospel of the Hebrews, it's not included in the canon as it's structured today. But the Christians in Jerusalem in the first century only read from the Gospel of the Hebrews. Every early church father translated the Gospel of the Hebrews. We do not have the full texts. We have segments. And there's one segment that actually tells us upon his resurrection, Jesus gave his burial shroud to the servant of the high priest. Now, Charbel, no matter no matter if it's canonized or not, no Jew would mention that he had a burial, a bloody burial cloth. They would be defiled. Yes. You cannot touch a bloody burial cloth. The woman with the flow of blood, she knew she couldn't touch someone. So you would not you would not publicize this, is what I'm getting at. And yet this gospel tells us that Jesus gave his burial shroud to the servant of the high priest, who could have been Peter or could have been uh, the servant of the high priest, uh, Malchus. Wow. So, so, um, are you familiar with Malchus? No. (laughs) 
okay, Malchus was the, the, the servant of the high priest. He's the one that okay. Peter cut his ear off. Ah, yes, okay, yes. So this gets a little deep, you know. Um, Malchus's nickname outside of the Gospels was Ear. Okay. <laughs> Caiaphas said to, said to Malchus, basically, you are my ear, boy. Go around the city and follow Jesus and report back to me and let me know everything he says and everything he does. He was Caiaphas's ear. <laughs> Peter cut that ear off. Jesus's very last miracle before his passion was the restoration of Malchus's ear. Okay. So we feel Malchus was converted because he did not give up Peter. Uh, you, you know, when, when Peter followed, when they arrested Jesus, yes. Peter sat in a, in a, around a courtyard and three people accused Peter of being one of his followers. And the third one was a cousin of Malchus, but it was not Malchus. You know? So we feel Malchus was converted. And in the first century, he would have been with James. So Jesus given his burial shroud to either Malchus Order Peter, doesn't matter, you know. But um, it did. When we do the holy face, we're gonna we're gonna follow the shroud, how it made its way and became the holy face of Jesus. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, Looking forward to that. Saint Julia Pops. We are preparing for Divine Mercy, um, and Divine Mercy Sunday is about to come, and there is a. there is the, there is a link um, with the image of the divine mercy and the shroud of Turin, and they've done studies where they they've they've seen that the dimensions are uh, are spot on and they sort of fit together. So there's no coincidence here, is there? <laughs> well, well, in fact, I did I've done that myself. I posted it on YouTube about 15 okay. years. Okay. So and I've seen many variations of it. Okay. Um, actually, the 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 and they use the Villeneuve. Okay. Now, there's only one miraculous image. Now, by the way, even the holy face, you know, the, a lot of people believe the one of Montepello is, is the real holy face, the okay. veil of Veronica. Personally, I don't. I think the one in the Vatican is. There's three different veils of Veronica in three different churches. Oh, okay. The one in the Vatican contains no image, just a mass of blood. I believe that's the original veil of Veronica. Veronica means true image, true likeness, yes. icon. When we talk yes. about the holy face, we'll we'll get into that. You know, I, I, but I, I digress here. Um, in fact, where were we? <laughs> yeah, so divine mercy. I'd, I'd like to see if there is a link in um... yeah. divine mercy. The Villeneuve image. Only the shroud was made by God Himself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the divine mercy image was not a miraculous image. You know, Jesus appeared to Faustina and said, hire an artist and paint an image according to what you see. Actually, there's three different variations, and she was never happy with any one of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, it does not fit precise. You have to alter, because the Divine Mercy image is not life-size. Shroud is. So I've done this myself. You have to... You have to alter the face, and I'm, I'll, maybe I'll say this in public, but there is one face that you don't have to alter that superimposes perfectly over Jesus's. That's Osama bin Laden. I mean, I, I hate to say that, but I've done that, and you know, the beard. I mean, it was just amazing, you know. But no, the Divine Mercy image. No, you 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 have to make it fit. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so you know, you, you know, there's guys that do a good job. I, I'm not patting myself on the back, but I, I did a good job also. And, and maybe I'll send you the link and, and you know, 
Yeah, thank you. You, you know, but with mine, it was a theology behind it, you, you know, that from the passion comes the mercy. Without the passion, you don't have mercy. So the right. divine mercy image comes out of the passion and that from the rays from the heart come out and grow and grow and grow and get a blinding white. Mm. The logic is it grabs the soul and brings it back because then I have the rays come back into the heart and then divine mercy image back into the shroud, into the passion. So, um, right, but it doesn't, just so you know, it doesn't fit perfectly. Perfectly. Okay, that's good to clear it up. What what is the significance of divine mercy today and and now um, in your your understanding of the shroud and the gospels and now the message of divine mercy uh, in the time that we're living in and why this long, I guess, uh, this is very recent um, and in the last century. So why? Why then, um, almost 2,000 years, 1,900 years between um, the Passion and, and Divine Mercy? What, why do we have jet planes now in that 2,000 years? That's right. <laughs> you, you, you know, it's, it's, and this is it's fascinating, but, you know, God in his time, uh, when, when we get into the Passion, I'm going to unfold where, where in the Bible God reveals certain things, okay? God does not reveal all at once. He did not. He could not reveal his plan for our redemption. Well, the devil never would have persuaded the high priest to have Jesus put to death. Mm. He would have told him, keep him alive, keep him alive. <laughs> Don't kill him, you know. So, so God is a, a hidden God, but over time, you know, we, we, we see in hindsight the significance of certain things and different revelations, you know. But with divine mercy, uh, I don't know how much time do we have left. We've got about ten minutes or so. Yeah. Okay. So with divine mercy, the the connection, you know, with with the passion, which is revealed in the holy shroud, okay, um, and uh, divine mercy, and we're coming up, you know, to divine mercy Sunday, and um, the pat without the passion of Jesus, we don't have divine mercy. It's the passion that we offer up. Mm-hmm. to have mercy for the sake of your sorrowful passion have mercy on us and on the whole world and many proponents uh, of, of divine mercy you know focus on the chaplet and that's fine you know yes but there was more there is a lot more to it the three o'clock hour is the hour of great mercy and Jesus said to Faustina he, he told her this the three o'clock hour is the hour of great mercy anything you ask will be given you if only for a moment, you see, there's a but. Okay. This is, what, this is what people forget. Not intentionally, but if only for a moment you contemplate my passion. Okay. Hmm. So without the contemplation of the passion, you see, even with Divine Mercy Sunday, you know, there's plenty of indulgence, yes. but there's obligations to fulfill. Yes. Prayer for the Pope, you know, confession, mass, you know, a, a Divine Mercy prayer. Otherwise, you don't gain the indulgence. So there's always, there's always, you can call it strings attached. <laughs> God is a give and take God. You know, he works with his creation, you know. But if we, if we, God asks us, or Jesus asks us to contemplate his passion. So this is something that's very, very important. It's not like we just go in and say, hey, it's Divine Mercy Sunday. Let's just say the chaplain. Let's, let's contemplate the passion. And then let it lead us in, into the mercy, because then 
when we immerse ourselves in the passion, it prepares us for the mercy, to ask for the mercy. Right? So the passion is very important. Now, the three o'clock hour. Why three o'clock? And this is, again, the connection with the passion. Why three o'clock? Uh, and everybody knows it's because that's the hour that Jesus died. Yes. So, well, let's take it a step further. Why did Jesus die at three o'clock? It's because that's the time Adam sinned. Now, how do we know this? Well, we can look at Genesis. In Genesis, and I forget the, the exact paragraph, but um, Genesis tells us that when Adam sinned, God went looking for Adam in the garden during the breezy time of the day. Now, if a Catholic priest calls a Jewish rabbi in the Middle East, the, the, the priest would say, well, how do you know Adam sinned at three o'clock? Well, he would say, well, that's easy. <laughs> he says, because in the first century, you didn't say nine in the morning. You did during Jesus's time, but but not, not during the time of Genesis. It was the heat of the day, the light of the day, the dark of the day, the breezy time of the day. That's mm, three o'clock. Interesting. Any rabbi in the Middle East knows us. That's when the breeze comes in off the sea in Palestine. Okay, that's fascinating. Uh, even yeah. in even in our Gospels, if you if you read the footnotes in the New American Version, uh, you'll see one of the scholars was scholarly enough to put mid afternoon. Okay? The, uh, the breezy time of the day is mid afternoon. So you'll actually see that in the footnotes. I was amazed when I saw that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. But um, that's yeah. significant. <laughs> Well, it's very significant because it should, God has a very distinct, you know, he follows a plan. He's yes. very distinct. So when you mention why 2,000 years, it's in God's hands. You know, mm. it's, it's there's a very distinct um, plan that, that, that God unfolds, you know. So, so that's the 3 o'clock hour. Now, there is something else very important, very important. You see, Jesus... When he appeared to Faustina, he wanted Faustina to do something else. Okay. He said to Faustina, prepare the world for my second coming. Okay. Prepare the world for my final coming, as it is in the biography. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Many of those who know Faustina's diary will know exactly what I'm talking about. Prepare the world for my second coming. Many people forget that. Mm. But, but it is important you know, so yes, the chaplain, yes, let's save souls. Okay? Um, but we, we have to prepare the world for, our, for, for the second coming of Jesus. How do we do that? Um, or this is actually the message of the Holy Shroud. See, this is the message of the Holy Shroud in action. Okay? You remember John's gospel when I said that the the. Uh, when Peter and John, Peter goes into the, into the sepulchre, sees the burial linen lying, yes. and the napkin that had been about the head of Jesus still in its folds in a place by itself. That reveals the message of the Holy Shroud. Okay. Now, there is a, a um, I don't know, a, a pious tradition that was going around for a while uh, about the, the, the um, uh, the, the Jewish master and the servant. See, any any Jewish master or servant would understand, any first century Jew would understand the message that John's revealing here. Okay, um, 
John in his gospel is telling, he's, he's actually writing to first century Jews. This, he didn't know he'd be, he, we would be reading this 2,000 years later. So he's revealing there and then, you know, that, listen, the napkin was still in its folds, my brothers and sisters. You see, that's very significant. Because what that means is any first century Jew would know the, the tradition of the master and the servant. When the master's at meal and he has to get up to go somewhere, but he knows he's coming back, he leaves his napkin still in its folds. That sends the message to the servant, don't disturb anything because I'm coming back. Uh-huh. When you are finished with your meal, you crinkle your napkin up and place it on the plate, okay, physically on the plate. That sends the message to the servant that I'm finished. Take everything away. Okay? John and his gospel is telling us the napkin, and that's the translation, the sudarium, the napkin was still in its folds. Okay? Wow. The message, I'm coming back. And what a message that is. That's the message, God's message to the world of the Holy Shroud. Our Catholic Catechism tells us that the Shroud prepared the disciples to encounter the risen Christ. So it's all there. Uh, But that's the message. No great revelation to any mystic. No great revelation to Don Nose. This is all Bible. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's all there and it's all church teaching. Love it. Unfortunately, we, we tend to get away from traditions a lot. You know. That's true. Thank you. God gives us something to pull us back. And in today's day and age, is when we talk about the holy face, God presents us with something. So why 2,000 years? Maybe he had to wait this time, and now the shroud became popular. When mm. we talk about the holy face, I'm going to tell you how why the, why the holy face of the shroud became popular. Yeah, fantastic. I don't know how much time we have left. but uh, we, we are out of time for today, but oh. um, I'd love to get you back on um, again um, as we build up because I do want to talk about the holy face as well, and then we, we're, we're going to touch on the passion as well. I mean, I think that's going to be very important. Um, and so we're going to need a few more sessions uh, together. Um, so love to get you back on. But any final thoughts here as we wrap up, uh, just to sort of close this, we're, we're talking about the Shroud, the Gospels, and Divine Mercy. Any final uh, thoughts as we close? Yeah, f- final thoughts, yes. Uh, in fact, John Paul II, you know, um, asked to evangelize the world with the Holy Shroud. Um, so, you know, there are certain individuals that take up that that cause, you know. But um, come to recognize Jesus in his Shroud, Muslims, Jews, and, and again, no no pressing, no, you know, no, um, but that is our link. And, mm-hmm. and it's more as we go further, there is more link with the liturgical connections with the Holy Shroud. But that would be my final thought. Come to recognize Jesus in his passion. And we come to recognize what's happening in the world today. And in the later episode, we're going to see what that remedy is. God gives us the remedy. But he is asking us to prepare for the second coming. In another show, we'll discuss how we do that. Yeah, praise be to God. Thank you so much um, for, for being with us, Donald. And, and, and just I think it's just wetting the appetite. People are just now learning just a little bit about what, where we're heading with this. Um, I'm, I'm super excited to see more, more developments in shows to come. If anyone wants to uh, get familiar with what you're doing, where can they go? Is there um, somewhere online that they could search? to learn more about what you're doing. Yeah, well, 
actually, I would have to call my cell phone number. I had okay. websites that I had taken down. Uh, I was getting flooded, flooded, wow. flooded, flooded. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't handle it all. You know, I was doing presentations. And, in any event, um, I'll give you my cell phone number. That's perfectly fine. Anybody that's cool. a question. I don't know if we have a question and answer segment here for future shows, but oh, we will. Yes. Okay. Because if anybody formulates questions and writes them and you know, maybe submit questions, but again, there is a lot more. My phone number is six, three, one area code two, seven, five, eight, four, eight, seven. Uh, okay. I have a YouTube channel, but I have to edit to edit. some. if you, if you do a search on my name on YouTube, Donald Nose, Holy Shroud, you'll see some of my videos. Fantastic. Okay. Well, at the very least, we'll do that. And we're, we're going to um, do a lot more together here. Um, so this is only the beginning. Thank you so much again um, for joining us. I want to thank everyone else uh, for joining us on this special Perusia podcast. Uh, I'm Shabal Reish, your host. And until next time, God bless. Don't forget Divine Mercy Sunday coming up. God bless you. <laughs>